0: All right, let's get the plow on the ground. Um, Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28, uh, is our text for tonight. If you want to, go ahead and turn there. Um, I'll pray for us as we begin to read God's word. Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. That's us there because Elohim is plural in Hebrew. But for those of us with a biblical perspective, know that it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're overhearing the first divine conversation, which is awesome. Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue, by the way, is not oppressive dominion. It is actually a priestly responsibility. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say, thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Has anybody ever told you you look like somebody? Do you get that a lot? Is it a compliment or an insult, depending on who they compare you to, right? Hey, you remind me of, hey, has anyone ever told you you look like... I love it when this happens um, in some of the films that I watch repetitively when there's a family member or a friend who knows the parents but has not yet met the child. And when they meet the child, the first thing they say is, hey, you look like. In Braveheart, it's young William Wallace who's lost his parents. And out of the dark brooding Scottish rain comes his uncle Argyle. And he's on his horse and looks down and takes in young William's countenance. And he says, "I, you have the look of your mother. Or it's Harry Potter, right? He's thrust into this world. He never knew his parents, but yet he goes into this world where a lot of people knew James and Lily. And every time one of their friends meets Harry for the first time, what do they say? You look like James, but you have Lily's eyes. Who do you look like? If you have an older brother or sister, this gets really annoying, doesn't it? All your teachers who had them first. Oh, you look just like Chad. Thanks. Now I'm going to live my life in rebellion to that perception of, that you have of me. But I wonder tonight, has anyone ever said, I, oh, you have the look of your heavenly father. And I'm not trying to be heretical. Actually, I'm trying to be deeply theological because the text we just read tells us that we were created in the image of God and in his likeness. And that has profound implications about how we view ourselves, how we view our brothers and sisters, and how we view a good and gracious and giving heavenly father. God created man in his image and his likeness. In the image of God, he created them, male And female. I love this text. I I know I should probably say that about every text. (laughs) All my kids are my favorite, but I love this text. It's full of poetry and passion. It's creative and it's compelling. There's sight and there's sound, and it's cascading with intimacy and purpose. And I love how it reveals the origins of the human soul and our Father's heart for us. I love what Dana Chandler says about this text. The holy three have always existed in a divine dance of romance. In a whirlwind of affection and pleasure and love unending, it was from this pulsating intimacy that God created humanity and the natural order. So God created man in his own image and likeness. And in the image of God, he created male and female. Now, before I get too excited or too poetic or tell you why this is so important, I understand there are certain questions that come up in our mind when we're reading the book of Genesis. I understand there's a lot of modern questions that we have for this ancient document. Although we believe it's true and inspired, a lot of us are going, okay, the earth was created in six days, Is that like a literal six days or can we translate that Hebrew word there, yom, to mean a long age as sometimes it's translated elsewhere? If I'm going to take this text seriously tonight, does that mean I have to embrace the young earth theory and totally discount any evolutionary evidence or believe that carbon dating is a myth? If I'm to take this text seriously tonight, do I have to choose between science and theology? And possibly the biggest question is, is God okay with me watching the Big Bang Theory? (laughs) Now most of those are important questions. um, And I encourage you to ask them. And I I would just say two things to that uh, before we dive in just a, a little bit deeper. One is maybe we'll bring someone in who's more intelligent and articulate to speak to those matters than I am because I've never watched the Big Bang Theory. But I want to make sure that I'm clear. I believe in the Bible we have everything we need for life and salvation. And that the Holy Spirit will reveal who Jesus is. And life with him is possible. But I also want to safeguard us against making the proverbial scientific mistake. Because sometimes we're asking questions that they never intended to answer. And it's like the old adage of the scientists who wanted to study and learn how a bird flies so they dissected it and killed it. And in the process, they killed the very thing they longed to study. And I don't want to kill the very thing that we're trying to study tonight. And that is, God created man in his own image and his likeness. And in the image of God, he created male and female. Now, this is wonderful. If you read Genesis chapter one and two, right, you'll see this beautiful and ancient story that was passed down from generation to generation. And then the author collected it. Some people believe it's Moses. But it's arranged in and in written in a way that it's probably for an oral tradition so that it was a story told again and again. One and two have very similar accounts. There's lots of repeated words Um, for emphasis and then probably also to aid in people's memory as they handed down the gift of how God created us and how we can understand our own humanity and our souls and our our creator better. Um, And I think it's here to remind us that we should never forget who we are and whose we are. That we can live in a right relationship and have responsibility underneath our creator, our God, And our Father, and live life in such a way that people might look at us and say, Aye, you have the look of your Heavenly Father. And it's riddled throughout Scripture, right? This this poetry and this passion about us being made in the image of God. And a lot of times it's, hey, is that literal or is that metaphorical? What are they talking about right here? Uh, Jandy came up and read us a a verse from Psalms that talks about how we're beautifully and wonderfully made and God has fashioned us. Cool. Is that literal or is it metaphorical? The Psalms are going to go on to say five or six other times when it talks about creation that all of creation sings about God's glory. Well, that's great for the artsy-fartsy songwriters. Great. You just use metaphors however you want to, but that's not real, right? That's not like a scientific fact. We're not gonna discover some super-sensitive microphone and all of a sudden hear on a subatomic level, holy, 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 right? Where are we? Um, Let me just read to you. I was doing some light reading. Um, And this is from Don Lincoln. Get ready for this. He's a senior experimental particle physicist at the Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory and an adjunct professor at the University of Notre Dame. He's smart, (laughs) and he's writing uh, for Nova in an article entitled, The Good Vibrations of the Quantum Field, okay? Just be patient. For all of you engineers in the room, I'm gonna light you up like a Christmas tree. For all you creatives, just pay attention. There's something coming after for you, okay? Here's what he says, and I'll read you some excerpts. Um, I have some bad news for my pen pals. Physicists no longer think about the universe in simple terms. Everywhere in the universe, there is a field called an electron field. A physical electron isn't a field, but rather a localized vibration in the field. In fact, every electron in the universe is a similar localized vibration of that single field. Why should we care about that? This idea of fields and vibrations explains how the universe works at a deep and fundamental level. Quantum fields are really a mind-bending way of thinking. Everything, and I mean everything, is just a consequence of many infinitely large fields vibrating. Here it comes. The entire universe is made of fields playing a vast subatomic role. Symphony. Physicists are just trying to understand the melody, which I would say Christians are just trying to sing along with it. Now, for my creatives, if that was too much, then we get C.S. Lewis, right? He's the best theologian (laughs) because he actually had an imagination and wrote children's books. Here's how he pictures. (laughs) That's Aslan, you're welcome. Not your next back tattoo, please. Um, Aslan's the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in The Magician's Nephew, here's how Lewis pictures creation coming into existence. By him singing a song. The lion was pacing to and fro about that empty land and singing his new song. It was a softer and more lilting than the song by which he called up the stars and the sun. A gentle, rippling music. And as he walked and sang, the valley grew green with grass. It ran up the sides of the little hills like a wave. All of creation is singing to God's glory. And the culmination of creation on day six is you and I. Genesis tells us that creation, every day after God gets done creating, he says, It's good, it's good. When we show up made in his image and his likeness, creation goes from good to very good. You were created in the image of God and we get the ability to directly reflect his glory and his goodness. So the question for us tonight simply is, how? How do I, If I'm going to embrace, believe, and live into this reality, that somehow the Creator's handprint is literally impressioned in on my soul, that I'm made in His likeness, that I I have the look of my Heavenly Father, how do I reflect more of His glory and goodness? How can I reflect the image of God in a fractured world, and in my own fragmented life that's so easily seduced by sin and temptation. How can I reflect the image of God in such a way that the gravity of his glory transcends my own brokenness so that I can be a conduit of his redemption? I think the lyrics to this melody are found right in Genesis what we read. I think the key to the human soul and how we reflect God's image is also found in God's first recorded words to humanity. In verse 28, he says, God blessed them. So that means the first thing that when Adam and Eve open up their eyes is God is blessing them. That, that could be a hug. That could be a kiss on the cheek. Chances are it's a hand on the shoulder, an incredible way of transferring power, rights, responsibility It has the definition here of covenantal family and familiarity that you have access to a relationship with God because you bear his image. And then he says, hey, I've got work for you to do. Responsibilities is one of the way that you bear the image of God. We were designed for work, for industry, to find purpose in what it is that we're doing. And who we are and what we accomplish, some of those things are key to the heart of reflecting the image of God. So let me see if this helps. We were designed for relationship, and we were designed for responsibility. So you can put different words on that if it helps. This is intimacy, and this is purpose. But if we find out in Genesis, one of the primary ways that we bear the image of God is we know who we are and what we're supposed to be about. So let's say this is high relationship, and this is high responsibility. Down here, this is low relationship. Over here, this is low responsibility. See what I'm doing with my voice? Makes it that much more profound. <laughs> so let's just say right now where you're at in bearing the image of God, you don't really have a relationship with God and you're not taking any responsibility on. Okay? There's a word for that. Um, it's loosely translated from the Greek. It's called dead. <laughs> you're dead and you're transgressors in sin. Right? You're, if we want to contextualize it, you're the walking dead. Okay? Because you are not in any way animated to life and living the life God has called you to, because you have no relationship and you're taking no responsibility. But what if you have a relationship with God and you're you're high on connecting with Him and you understand the intimacy and you understand that you long to be connected with Him, but you're you're kind of low on responsibility. Like, nah, I'm good. Just as long as I'm good, I really don't care what's happening to other people or the world, right? I'm not really interested in all your missions talk, the last, the least, and the lost, the poor, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. That's just for social rights activists, okay? Not for me. I just need my Bible, cup of coffee, and Instagram, and I'm just fine, okay? We're, we're good, okay? This is called, you're just cozy. I have another word for it. I call it lazy, All you care about is your relationship with God, and I mean this quite literally, the hell with the rest of the world. I don't care if you're going to be separated from God for all eternity. As long as I'm okay, then that's my primary responsibility. Now, what if you go, Chris, that's not who I am. I am high responsibility, okay? Okay. I'm a doer. I'm an activator, okay? Quit talking and singing about God. Let's get out there and do something, all right? We got enough to worship services. We need to serve through our, as our worship, all right? Uh, and if you're not doing stuff, I don't even think you're a Christian, okay? Anybody know anybody like this? This means you're stressed out. <laughs> Which means you're stressing us out which means you will eventually lead to burnout. Why? Because you have no relationship to support the responsibility that you're trying to take on. And oftentimes than not, you've substituted a relationship with your activity and it's gonna lead you to character bankruptcy. You're, going to, you're right on track to being one of the world's perfect hypocrites. Uh, or as Jesus said, you're a whitewashed tomb. You look pretty on the outside, but you're dead man's bones on the inside. And the sad secret for many of us ministers is we know how to work for the king, but we've forgotten how to be alone with our father. But the goal in the image of God is to have a high relationship and high responsibility where we balance our intimacy and our purpose and both fuel one another. And that leads us to be empowered. In the image of God. Jesus called these disciples. Learners of Jesus' ways. And more and more every day I'm learning the character and the competency of Jesus. How Jesus had a relationship with his father. And how Jesus brought the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. So my question for you tonight, image bearers. Where are you on this grid? Where would you plot yourself? I'm here, here, I'm over here. If you were to ask God, would you give me eyes to see and ears to hear specifically how I'm doing in bearing your image, where would you put yourself? And as you plot yourself there, the only thing that's going to give you the courage to be fully honest is the fact that Jesus, who is the Son of God, but is who is one with God, made a way for us to be able to bear the image of God with relationship and responsibility. So Jesus and God are one, so that means this. The same hands that fashioned us out of the dust would be fastened to a Roman cross. That the same breath that breathed life into us He would breathe out his life for us. And the same heart that stopped beating underneath the weight of the cross would start beating again underneath the weight of his glory through resurrection power, through the Holy Spirit. And the reason we can even begin to answer this question and address it is because Jesus made it his responsibility to restore a right relationship with God the Father because he is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. The question tonight is how will you then respond to the gospel for your life tomorrow? Where are you at? Are you high relationship, high responsibility? Where are you struggling? And so I'm gonna ask the band to come up and pastor us through worship. And we like to take about three or four minutes. Actually, it's 120 seconds. I'm just making it longer because I think they're good questions. But this is listening prayer for us. And so we're just going to ask, where are you at on this grid? And then maybe two follow up questions if you have the courage is where in your life can someone point to and say, I you look like your father in heaven. Where are you most like God's image in your life? Chances are that's the most difficult question I'll ask you tonight. Because I'm gonna ask you next, where are you least like your father? And we love to go there. But part of our problem is, we don't understand the unique capacity we have to bear the image of God. So maybe we need to understand, hey, here's where we're doing really good. We need to double down on that. But then here's an area where God's calling me to a deeper level of relationship or a deeper level of responsibility. So would you listen in to the Father together with me as we pray and process all that he has for us?